Welcome to Ragbag's Bonus Bag. My name's Frank Burton, a.k.a. Lazarus Newman. We have an absolutely fascinating guest on the show this time, who also happens to be a phenomenal musical talent. Her name is Zia Eros. But really, nothing I can say can prepare you for what you're about to hear, so let's start off with Zia's new single. It's called Window Pane. Show me that you truly need it Tell me that you love me and make me believe it You 
Yeah, so I think that over the years, my process has certainly evolved. I think that when I got started, especially around the time of my first album, Dream Sura, I was very much a maximalist and I wanted to explore the most amount of color and texture and sound and environments as possible. Um, in some capacities, I look at the electronic music that I release as like audio sculpture because they are essentially fixed performances that no longer change after they are finally rendered. So with my earlier stuff, I really thought about it as like sort of meticulously sculpting this experience, you know? Um, and I think that as time's gone on, I've drifted more towards not quite a minimalist approach, but sort of in the middle approach where I, I like to maybe be a little bit more focused and sort of strategically choose what I put in my music more. Um, but definitely back then, super eclectic, but I just love, I, my thing is, I am overflowing with musical ideas constantly. So, you know, I just naturally put a lot of those into one piece. Like a lot of individuals write like three minute pieces, five minute pieces. I struggle to make those because I just feel like by the time I say two ideas, I'm already at like five minutes, you know? So um, it's, it's definitely been a bit of a process trying to condense my stuff down into a sort of more kind of consumable format. But my writing process usually starts with harmony. Uh, I love chords and I love sonorities and that was always my strongest element in music. So I'll typically start with some sort of color or feeling or atmosphere um, and I'll sort of carve out of the harmony all these other ideas. I have tested myself throughout my career and I've tried to make pieces that are melody dominated where I start with a melody and then I flesh the piece around that or texturally dominated where I start with some sort of sound or um, something or some sample or recording that I take of an object and then make that the piece. So I feel like each piece typically has a slightly different process when I go into it. I try not to get too monotonous with the way that I approach music. And this year recently, I've been getting more into just setting up a tape machine and recording music direct to like analog tape and then just improvising and trying to keep it as organic as possible. So I feel right now I'm in a bit of a reactionary period to what I spent on my first three albums. And I feel like it's, it's a very healthy thing that I'm arriving on now, but that's a bit in my process. I'll yeah. So you're, like, you're kind of, uh, you're, you're evolving as you, as you go along. Yeah, with every piece and in the middle of pieces. You said it yourself, my pieces feel like they're sort of changing and evolving. It's because I'm constantly learning while I'm creating. So, you know, naturally it's like a piece progresses, sort of goes these new directions where my mind goes when I try and learn stuff. So it's 
it's I, these days I've been trying to start my music and starting the process with um, whatever speaks to me. So if I'm sitting and playing piano, uh, if I come across a line that just feels really good and has like a really nice shape to it that I enjoy seeing or something, then I'll sort of build a framework around that. Um, if I'm just playing some chords and I'm like, Oh, that sounded like so cool. You know, then I'll like take that out of context and try to integrate that into a piece. Yeah. That's typically how my process goes. Great. I mean, do you see yourself as working within a particular genre or is it a, a bit more complex than that? No, I, I definitely don't feel like I conform to a genre. I studied music composition and music theory. So when I was coming up, I was composing music for orchestral stuff. I was composing music for chamber ensembles, um, sort of contemporary classical performances and stuff like that. So I feel like a lot of my roots are in, I guess, what you what people sometimes consider like art music. But I was always doing something where I wanted to create that same level of sort of intricacy in my music but I wanted to do it in a way that I connected with most which was through electronic music and ambient music and sort of glitchy like texturally significant things so on my first album and I think even a lot on my second album a lot of the questions with the pieces that I composed were okay I would take some sort of generic genres like you know like drum and bass or like dubstep as it was like pretty popular back then and I would essentially say, okay, I'm going to take these as vehicles and then completely change the presentation of them in a more sort of elegant way where they have like more deep harmony and deeper rhythms. And so I would almost start and I would just take sort of genres that I felt were completely unrelated and I would put them under the same umbrella and I would treat them with my own style. So like, for instance, I, I, I don't know, I would just play the two genres across each other or three genres or so it sometimes helps to think in a format like that. But I think these days, I mean, I mostly just play jazz piano and um, now I'm composing a lot of 31 microtonal, like 31 tone microtonal music. So yeah, I don't really think I can form to a genre, but if I had to, I guess I would just say experimental. Yeah, that covers quite a lot, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just that one word. So you, you've got some new is it two new albums you've got coming out this year yeah so i want to release a, a 31 tone equal temperament album i've fallen in love with that tuning and to me it just has such a such a deeper ability to create new sounds whereas like in 12 tone equal temperament there's obviously a lot of sounds but some of the intervals are, are a little bit more harsh whereas in 31 tone you get all of the stuff that you get in 12 tone Plus, you get more stuff from the harmonic series, which I don't know if you know what that is. But um, so you get more stuff from the harmonic series, more stuff from 12 tone, and you get unique stuff. So it just feels like the logical evolution for my music. And it's going to basically change the entire syntax that I'm operating in. So, so that album I want to come out a little bit later. And then I'm going to release sort of this, I guess, poppy neo soul electronic album that I'm really, really excited for. I've been putting a lot of time into that album and I definitely feel that's a greater reflection of where I am in my own headspace when I'm thinking about music right now. So those are the two big releases that I'm trying to have this year. Great. Obviously not, not everyone will know what 31 Tone is. So yeah. if, uh, would you be able to sort of uh, elaborate on that a little bit further just to yeah, explain? To to totally, right. So if you walk up to a piano or a guitar or any Western instrument and you pick a pitch and then you go up 12 notes like this.
arrive at a note that is exactly twice the frequency as that other one. Okay, and we call that an octave. Okay. It's it's sort of the it's sort of the fundamental building block of music. And if you listen to the octave, it's very clean. It sounds like the same note, just higher, right? Well, in 31 tone, there are 31 pitches between that distance instead of 12. So you are effectively almost tripling the amount of options that you have for notes. So this note right here, this kind of sound, that middle note actually has two other colors that it can go. It can go slightly higher, slightly lower, and it changes the way that the music sounds. And so it's essentially like, it's, it's, it's essentially like taking primary colors and then, then adding secondary colors. You just get more options of expression, and that's what I totally love about 31 tone. So, and you can divide that octave, that distance, into any amount of spaces. So, I mean, there's, there's one amazing musician. Um, she divides her octaves into 72 notes, you know, which is insane to think about. 72 notes. You can think of it like like resolution okay if you draw yeah. two if you draw two dots and then a line between them you, however many sort of tallies that you put on that line that like represents like a resolution point right like um for instance if you draw 12 lines on it you now have basically 12 different units that divide that line right so yeah. when you start moving in towards microtonality and you get like 31 or 72 you are actually operating in higher resolution it's like increasing the image resolution and, you know, the greater resolution you have, the greater sort of nuance and expression that you can have inside that resolution. Okay. Uh, why is it the number 31 in particular? Is there a reason for that? No, not really, which a lot of people think it, there's a particular reason. It just so happens that when you divide the octave into 31 different notches, that all of the notches you get are very useful, as opposed to something like 29, where it sort of ends up making it so that a lot of the notches aren't very useful. So, so it, um, just, it just naturally fits together that way. That's the way that it just naturally fits together. It yeah, to and it gives you, yeah. Right, yeah, like if you're dealing with a tuning that you want, because I want, I want to continue to, to operate sonically in context that I understand, where there's sounds that I really like, like something like this. Or like those kinds of sounds, right? Or even something like um, but if you go so out far uh, so outside or far away with some of these tunings, you end up without the ability to make those kinds of sounds because you don't have the fundamental building blocks that you need. But 31 just happens to have those fundamental building blocks really well and a lot of other building blocks. So it's just like an excellent thing for me because I can express how I do musically and I can hear how I do musically, but at the same time, I just get more options. I just recently released my first public 31-tone piece on my YouTube channel. So if anyone wants to check that out or if you want to check that out, there is something on there. It's called Glitter Dance. Awesome. Yeah, no, we'll certainly do that. And um... Just to uh, change the subject, I'm probably going to use the terminology wrong now that I've started this sentence, but tell me about, is it voice coaching? Is that what you, is that what you do or is, or is there a different term for it? You know, I, I prefer the word uh, voice alteration. So I teach okay, people right. how to alter the sounds of their speaking voices. If you want to get really fancy about it, I consider myself an interior biological acoustic engineer.
So I basically perform the same job that acoustic engineers do when they build buildings. So for instance, if you're building a stadium, it has to apply to certain noise regulations and different sort of, you know, the, the air ducts have to be a certain volume and everything. So I essentially do that, but I do it for the inside of people's bodies. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> and, and um, what, what effect does this, ha- what outcome does this have uh, after you've done this work? So it's, it's totally customized and different for everybody, but essentially I teach people how to change their speaking voice to anything that they want it to be. So some people want to sound older. Some people want to sound younger. Some people want to change their accent. Some people want to sound male. Some people want to sound female. Some people want to sound more masculine or feminine or neither. And then some people are born with physical disabilities or impairments where their vocal tract distorts their sound so that they can't integrate in normal speech like, uh, like we can. And so what I do is I design specific behavioral things that change the inside of their body so that they can produce whatever sound they want. So the, the, the output result is dependent on what somebody wants. So a lot of people come to me and they want to sound more feminine or some people want to sound more masculine. So in those cases, they would get that result. Or some people, you know, in America, they feel discriminated against for their foreign accent. So I can teach them very quickly how to, re- how to reduce and remove their accent and then they can just go about their life as if it's not an issue. Is it, I'm just wondering, um, it, this may not be the case, but um, could it apply to a person's musical ability as well? Like if somebody wanted to be better at singing, would you be able to do something with that? Yes, absolutely. Um, really? and, in fact, okay. and in fact, I can even teach people how to sing in a different gender. So, uh, you know, if someone ever wants to sound different in that way, or they can sound and sing different styles. So I can definitely improve people's singing voices, although that's not really the the market that I I go for, only because there are so many singing coaches and they all charge a lot less than me and they're all very good at singing. So I I operate in a very uh, specialized and highly specialized niche that a lot of people can't quite get with just regular singing coaching. So I work mostly with people who want to feminize or masculinize their voice. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, I work with a lot of transgender students, um, and I allow them to sound how they wish to sound. And I work with a lot of accent stuff, and really lately I've been breaking into the age reduction thing. So there are a lot of older individuals who maybe look younger, but their voice gives away their age. So I teach them how to sound younger. The work that I am most fascinated with and most challenged by is the work where I get individuals who have physical disabilities and um, I essentially have to reinvent the wheel on how they can speak and sound regular. And I really, really love that because it's such a powerful thing in these people's lives. And not only that, but it's also a very fun thing for me to do where I get presented with this unique acoustic challenge. And so what I'll do is I'll model the inside of their body um, And essentially, by getting an acoustic blueprint of what's going on inside of their body, I can start to come up with ways that I can essentially reverse engineer what's happening to them and create a sort of opposite effect so that then they can sound like more regular. It's like almost like solving, it's like solving a mystery while inventing while helping someone at the same time. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, yeah, that is fascinating. Anything else that you would like to talk about? Uh, hmm. Well, I worship the harmonic series, which I think is really notable 
in terms of my personality and my artistic output and just what I do as a person on this earth. So uh, I guess if I could, I'd like to talk about that and spread the sort of gospel of the harmonic series a little bit. Um, so, yeah, go uh, for it. Yeah. When you say you worship the harmonic series, do you literally worship or, or is that just... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I literally worship the harmonic series. Okay, right. Okay, so in, in, in like a, a religious sense. Of, yes, of the right, in, in, in a religious sense and a practical sense too because it's given me everything. It's given me a love of music. It's given me an understanding of how sound works. It's given me both of my careers, music composition and voice alteration. It allows me to understand the universe in a much bigger way by understanding something that is very small. And I feel like that is, it's objective and observable. And to me, it's just made a profound impact in my life. And it's just very fascinating. So it's my favorite thing to talk about. Are you a part of a movement of people who, who do this? I mean, or- I started, I started a movement of it. Yeah. Oh, um, you started your own movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. Really, I, I don't, there's no, you know, there's no specific rules that you follow or no specific things, but the harmonic series is essentially, okay, so the harmonic series is an infinite divergent set of values that are generated every time anything in this universe undergoes periodic motion. So for instance, the string of a guitar or a piano note or the reed of a clarinet or an electric razor buzzing away or, or even a fly beating its wings at a fairly steady speed. All of these things generate the harmonic series and the harmonic series is this fixed structure that is all over the universe and um, it's totally observable. I can hear it in my own voice. It's, it's, what, it's what makes music work. It's the whole reason why, you know, if I play something like this, why it sounds that way it's because of the harmonic series and the logic behind it which which is a big thing to get into but uh so the way i kind of view it is you could think of it this way anytime something cycles inside of it there is an infinite nest of smaller cycles that come from the original okay and i sort of view the entire universe in that way where you have the the birth and the heat death of the universe and I view those as like the, the sort of peak and trough of a cycle. And I view essentially everything else in the universe as a harmonic, which is those tiny little nested multiples of the bigger cycle. So um, I, I think like I myself, I'm probably just the 10 to the 100 millionth harmonic existing in this universe. And I'm just this tiny cycle that's occurring in a much greater nested infinite cycle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I feel that way when I think about it too. It's like, whoa, that's a lot. Like, it's it's really crazy though, because everybody's voice has this, and you can hear them, and you can sing them, and you can construct them, and they make kind of everything. Um, you know, there's even surgeons who use scalpels that use the harmonic series to cut bone. You know, I saw some research the other day, which I gladly cite because I'm a, a citations person. But they found evidence that the orbits of planets and satellites actually enter harmonic resonances, which are like harmonic ratios, so like two to three, three to four, four to five, five to six, and so forth. So it's just really very strange. And I almost think in some capacity, it's a fractal of like a larger thing that's occurring in our universe. Like, like we can observe the harmonic series. It's an empirical, physical fact. It's an acoustic fact of this universe. And we can observe it. 
But I think that it being an acoustic fact and it being observable is actually just like a tiny little fraction of like, just, you know, you're catching a glimpse behind the curtain, so to speak, you know, like where there's this like bigger cycle that's happening and that's just how it happens to manifest in an observable way for, for tiny organisms like ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's kind of blown my mind to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it's, are, are you, um, uh, are you writing about this by any chance? Because I know, I know that yes. you've got some writing uh, that you're working on at the moment. So is, is this subject part of all of this? Yeah, I mean, it has to be part of it because I'm writing. So I'm currently working on two textbooks right now. One's on the back burner. I'm writing a music theory textbook uh, and I'm essentially espousing a new theory, which I call musical negentropy, which is this idea that music and sound rather than entropy, which sort of... Uh, trends from, I guess what we can say, order to disorder or sort of um, high concentrations to low concentrations. I think sound runs the opposite way where when you have energy that's being used, that energy is consumed and then it enters a lower state, which we call silence. So um, I think that all music essentially and all sound essentially exists on the spectrum between silence and white noise. And so I've been working on that book, uh, Musical Negentropy, and then the, the book that is, is sort of foremost for me right now is my book on voice alteration. Um, and, you know, both of those topics are inseparable from the harmonic series because anything that makes sound is automatically going to be sort of put into this context with the harmonic series. So definitely I'm writing about that, although it's not a huge focus of either book, um, except for the musical negentropy one is a huge focus in that. Um, but voice alteration you need to know what the harmonic series is in order to understand how to change voices. So, uh, so I do talk about it in there, but I've been thinking about creating a short set of essays and um, some videos talking about my, my views on the harmonic series and, and what it is. Yeah. It's uh, it's such a complex subject that, um, yeah. you know, it, it, it'd be good to kind of expand upon in, in whatever way that you can. Totally. And that's, that's the difficulty that I run into because, it is such a huge topic that, and there's really, I, I can't find any single good distillation of it out there to share with other people so that they can understand the passion I have for it. Like if you look at musicians discuss it, they discuss it as a musical phenomenon of these intervals. Something like that is how they would discuss it. And it explains the way that music works and it explains the way that strings work and everything. And so musicians, they only look at it in that context. And then when you look at acousticians, they look at it in a totally different context, but they also miss, they miss the musical aspect of it. And then if you go and you talk to mathematicians, they only get the numbers of it. They don't get the implication of it. So I feel sort of uniquely positioned between the spheres of acoustics and music. And I feel like those two things have together give me this like more global picture of the harmonic series. And I really want to spread greater awareness and a greater love for it because it's just so gorgeous and beautiful. And, you know, I was talking about tunings earlier, how there's like 12 tone equal temperament or, or sort of 31 tone, etc. Well, there are entire tuning systems that are based on the harmonic series, which, which sound amazing. And I love making music in those. So. All, all this stuff that we're talking about now, I mean, how, how does this kind of feed into the music that you create and how much influence does that have on the music that you create? I think that the influence it has on my music is impossible to distill. It's like a systemic thing. So 
The harmonic series is so profound and so intrinsically important to me that by association or by proximity is inseparable from my artwork, regardless if it's visual artwork or um, auditory artwork. Now, if I'm thinking about sound, the harmonic series tells me why things sound the way they do. It tells me why this sounds like that. It tells me why this one sounds a little harsher. It tells me why this one sounds the most harsh. It tells me why this sounds very clean. And so if I were to stack those, it tells me why everything like that behaves the way that it does. Um, it, it just essentially lets you understand how something sounds without hearing it based on the way that it stands in proximity to the harmonic series. It's such a huge topic, and I wish I could just explain it in crystal clear detail to everybody immediately, but it really is a huge, huge thing that is hard to unpack. But it tells me how things are going to sound. Um, and it essentially, because, okay, a lot of people don't understand this, but whenever you play two pitches, two different pitches at the same time, they are a ratio, okay? So for instance, this sound, that is a two against three ratio, okay? So if I snapped a two against three like this, that's two in equal space of three. If I took that sound and you sped it up a thousand times, you would literally hear this. That is what makes that. That is a rhythm. It's that rhythm sped up so incredibly fast that your ear hears it as an interval, okay? So all music is made up right, of nothing. Yeah. Yeah, all music is made up of vibrations. It's made up of vibrations. Is that what it is? Yes, vibrations and ratios. So, for instance, if I play this, that's like a four against three ratio, okay? And the more remote the ratio gets, the more irregular the sound becomes. So, like this, this is a very abstract ratio, and it, it doesn't it doesn't calculate very cleanly. And so, as a result, the ear hears it as a very jarring and somewhat dissonant sound. The cleaner the ratio is, the easier it is for the ear to understand. So this is a one to two. One to two is super easy to understand, and it sounds like this. It's a doubling. Two to three. Three to four. Four to five. Now, unfortunately, on this musical instrument, there is not a true four to five. Um, it's, it's a really distant interval, which is why we use harmonic series tuning, so we can actually play the true four against five instead of an approximation of it, which our ear knows is wrong. So that's kind of how it influences my writing process, because chords and harmony are nothing more than stacks of, of ratios together. And so by understanding the sort of composite elements that's building this, you can have a good idea about how something's going to sound. I know if I want something to sound sort of more like kind of gross, I can pick things that don't agree with each other. Or if I want something to sound really clean and pretty, right, I can just pick things that agree with each other. Like, this agrees with itself so much. I basically know what things are going to sound like before I play them because I know what they're made of. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. I know um, it's a lot. 
It is, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering about the, um, you know, you were saying there's like a religious element to all of this. Um, yes, yes. Uh, do, you, do you have any particular beliefs about kind of where music comes from or where, where anything comes from? Or is, or is, or is know, that kind I, of a mystery? You know, I think that, um, I think that when I talk about my worship of the harmonic series and the sort of religious aspect of what I've been creating, I think of it as more of a descriptive thing, not a prescriptive thing, right? So by this, by having this knowledge and having this spiritual connection to this sort of infinite series that is all over the universe, it doesn't prescribe me to behave a certain way. It doesn't prescribe me to, um, you know, or it doesn't, it doesn't tell me where things came from. It, it just explains what that is. You know, it, it's sort of more, uh, it's, it's hard to put into words, but, um, you know, I do have some beliefs, yes, some specific beliefs. Um, I believe that I am nothing more than a sort of overtone of this entire cosmic cycle. I call that the great cycle. And I think that it's all just a peak and trough of, of energy that's occurring. And I don't know if our birth and heat death of the universe, I don't know if that's the fundamental oscillation or if there's an even larger oscillation existing way beyond those, right? But the nature of the harmonic series says that these things are infinitely nested. It's essentially, it's essentially infinity nested infinitely that sums and is born out of unity. Um, that's what the harmonic series is. And so uh, when I'm thinking about that, I guess I have some my own beliefs, but those are more personal, and I would never really, um, I would never really suggest to others to follow that view. I just want to educate others on the infinite beauty of the harmonic series and its sort of ever encompassing and far-reaching element and pervasiveness well that 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 answers my question thank you although i do um, i do i do gather with my fellow worshipers of the harmonic series and i sort of meditate over harmonically tuned music so i do try to listen to it as pure as possible as often as i can and i think that to me when i hear the harmonic when i hear music that's built in the harmonic series to me it just sounds so ancient and so primal and so just that's it you know that's what the sound is and it, it's really crazy because it's a sound that you hear everywhere but a sound that you hear nowhere at the same time right okay so the, there is music that is specifically built around the harmonic series and that's yeah. um, been done with that intent in mind mm -hmm. Yes, you can find you can find lots of composers who work in that stuff. The tuning yeah. is called just intonation, just intonation. Right, okay, you can yeah. Google that into Google or you can YouTube it and you can find tons of music. I myself have an entire piano album that I recorded to cassette tape, uh, which is all about the just intonation piano. So. Well, I think I've learned an awful lot this <laughs> evening. Yeah. I am, I am a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I, I might just ask you to change my voice as well, but, I, but yes. we may not have time for that. Um, yes, I, yes, of course. I, I, presume, I presume that takes um, more, than, more than five yeah. minutes. Yeah, you know, I, I usually see my students for anywhere between two to eight lessons. My lessons yeah, run okay. about 65 yeah. to 70 minutes, and depending on what somebody wants, you know, that result could be achieved in different amounts of time, and depending on a student's ability – the most important ability that someone can have that gives them an advantage or disadvantage is actually hearing resolution. So your ears 
actually have a resolution just like a monitor, okay? So if you're looking at a, you know, a 640 monitor, it has very few pixels or comparatively to something that's 1080. So it has very few pixels. So the image is less clear and it is less fidelity. You know, it's, it's a lower fidelity image that you're seeing. Well, the same thing happens with your ear. So someone who has a less developed sort of aural sensitivity or hearing ability when they hear sound and music, they literally hear it in lower resolution. They hear less of that actual thing, okay? And so you can always train and develop your ear to have higher resolution. And some people naturally do that throughout their life. Maybe they happen to just, you know, listen to music a lot very carefully, and so their resolution increases. Maybe they randomly like singing when they're a child, and so they sort of gain this sort of childhood ability for hearing resolution. Everybody has a, everybody's at a different level with their ear. And so that's really the only thing that changes the speed in which someone can change their own voice, their ability to hear it. But I do train what? people's ears. That's something I'm super passionate about. I did a lot of research in, and um, I taught for several years. Oh, so you can train um, the way that people hear things as well as the way that people sound? Yeah, exactly. Indeed. Okay, right, yeah. You know, that's a fundamental part of musical training, allowing students to hear different intervals and hearing different chords. Like you could walk up to my keyboard and you could play any collection of, you know, notes and I would be able to tell you what chord it is just because I've trained my ear to that level. When I hear people's voices, I can hear the invisible little pitches inside of their voice, their harmonics, their overtones that are part these little of this bigger series. I can hear the smaller pieces of people's voices. So, um, and I think a lot of audio engineers, audio engineers certainly have the highest hearing sensitivity of any sort of regular group, I think then followed by sort of trained musicians. Um, however, the audio engineers, since we work with noise and we filter and we use different EQs and so forth, I think that it has a natural propensity to train the ear to a higher degree than what you get if you just do basic ear training in music, which should be like, oh, this, that's a major third, that's a minor six, etc., which is what you would typically get in a sort of um, traditional music education background. And I also think that, you know, I personally believe that we should try to, obviously this isn't something that happens overnight, but I really do believe that as time progresses, we are going to move further and further into microtonality. So the idea that we only have 12 options in that octave, eventually we are going to end up with a lot more options as music continuously develops. I think it's the only natural revel, um, sort of natural evolution of music. And we can see that too, where, you know, in the 1400s, music was always like... with like monophonic or, or sort of simple chant that we would have, right? So either single lines where they would chant basic intervals or, um, or various polyphony. But then something happened, right? We got into the 15th and the 16th century, and then all of a sudden people were playing things like this. People started to build a chord. And then we went into, you know, the 18th century, and then people started to play something like this. Right. And then we went forward and forward and forward until eventually, you know, that sound becomes something like something like this. Right. 
right? And that's still the same thing fundamentally. But I, I see that, that same evolution trending towards greater options and greater freedom, but I see that in a microtonal sense. And to relate back to what we were originally talking about, I think it's not only inevitable, but very important that that happens because I think for children who are growing up to be exposed to microtonal music that has 31 tones, I believe that that will develop and does develop a greater aural sensitivity, which then translates out in life with greater memory, greater cognitive functions, and greater executive functioning. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've learned a great deal. Um, you give me a lot to think about, I think. I did not yeah. mean to turn this podcast into a lesson. Now, really, Zia, I'm glad that you did. Thank you very much for giving me your time. Now, here's that 31-tone tune we were talking about earlier. This is Glitterball.
Thank you once again to the extraordinary Zia Eros. This has got to be one of the best episodes, not just of Ragbag, but of any podcast ever. There you go, I said it. And thank you to you, dear listener, for doing what you do best, listening to Ragbag. All the links to Zia's music are in the show notes. Check out her YouTube channel for all the latest stuff. And I will see you for our regular Ragbag shenanigans next week. Buy my book as well, by the way. Details on frankburton.co.uk. Check it out. Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more.